everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Durant. I'm going to move my mic a little closer to me, Ross, so if you hear some bumping, that's what's going on over here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Jazz got a win last night. That was good. How are they looking this year? I know not you're still, great. like, not great. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, like, you're not expected to be, like, a contender this year, right? No, the, the hope was to be, like, a play-in team, maybe okay. at best, like, the sixth seed and, and get into the playoffs automatically. That was, I think, the ceiling, but, yeah, that... They have a they have a tough early schedule, and they finally got you know a pretty easy team last night in the Grizzlies, Great. who uh, you know have been good the last couple of years, but are without John Morant for being an idiot, and without both of their big men for being injured. The the bluntness on it, even though I I do expect it, I wasn't ready for it. I think is a better way to put it because that's the way I would say too. John Morant for being just a fucking moron. Anyway, continue. Yeah, so they're without him and their two best big men who are both injured, so they're a shit show to start the season. They're like 0-5 oh, like, now. It's just like Marcus Smart and like random people. Uh, Desmond Bain is very good. At sure, the other yeah, guard. Like they yeah. have no no defense and like no depth, yeah. their lead guard is also out. So it's it's just, it's bad. Jalen Jackson Jr. too, the rating TBOI. The problem is like he is not a center. He doesn't play like drop, you know, protection, you know, stay around the rim. He likes to play like Giannis on defense where he's like the free safety roaming around the court, disrupting sure. passing lanes and being like a weak side help, you know, defender getting shot, you know, running over getting the shot blocker or getting the shot block. Um, sure. And he's a terrible rebounder despite being 6'11 with a 7'4 wingspan. He averages like he six just, rebounds he just, a game. Rebounds. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's awful at it. Yeah. So uh, and they've always been a team that sneakily relied on rebounding because they're not a good shooting team. So they needed to get the extra possessions to overcome their inefficiency. So, yeah, they're 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 a shit show. The Jazz beat the brakes off them. They were up by like thirty four in the second half, ended up winning by like twenty five. So it was good to see a lot of guys yeah. play well. I actually, I actually watched a little bit of the NBA game last night. I don't know if you should be proud of me or what. Which, well, I mean, there's no more baseball, so you kind of have to. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. How sad and happy I am at the same time. But um, yeah, I watched a little bit of the Pelicans game last night. They were down like. 24 early to like OKC and then just destroyed them for the rest of the game doing the game. But nice, that's a good win. OKC yeah, is a good yeah. team. Yeah, I mean, with the, with the Pelicans, it's always the same thing. Just, just please be healthy. It's like I think is the way to put it. They haven't, they haven't, you know, they have a quote unquote big three that have like practically not played together, even though they've all been on the roster for three almost three years now. You know, yeah, so it's like, can we just, uh, can we just have these guys play together? Would be great. They've played like I think like 20 something games together or something. It's some very low number. Anyway. Uh, yeah, like you said, baseball season ended last night, so let's, let's update this for everybody. It's uh, a little after noon for me, it's a little after 1 p.m. for Ross, Thursday, November 2nd. Um, the World Series came to conclusion last night. The Texas Rangers won their first World Series in their franchise history. Uh, a team that I was rooting for after Atlanta was um, eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, I used to live in the in the Dallas area for a small amount of time. I have a bunch of braids there still. Uh, was, you know, burning the game with some friends. And ha- have you ever had the habit you become, like, a fan of a team by proxy or whatever? You know, you're, like, like I feel like I check on jazz scores now just because, like, I want to know what you're talking about kind of yeah. thing. You know? And I'm oh, sure definitely. you, like, you notice when Atlanta's doing great at some times or, you know, like, if a, t- if a person has a, a team that they love, right? That you're always around. Um, but, so, like, it's an interesting thing for me. So, like, there's the part that's like, man, it sucks that there's no baseball, right? Especially once the regular season is over or Atlanta gets eliminated from uh, from play. It's weird for me because during that section of the year, my day is so much easier because I just, it, it's like you with the Utah Jazz. I just plan my days around the game. 
right? Like I want to watch the game. If I physically can do it, I'm going to do it. So I'll either get everything done before or I have something planned right after, you know, kind of thing, or I make it some way where I can do both. Right. So like that kind of sucks. Like for the next few months, I'm going to be a little more extra bored. Right. Also, it's about to get cold here. It's starting to get colder. So I can't play as much golf. So like, it's like a double edged sword. Man. It was, I, it was, I was like, like 25 degrees yesterday morning. Uh, it's like, it was like 50 here a lot of the last couple days, but it, it should warm <laughs> up actually. It should get back in the sixties today. So I'm going to go like hit some balls of practice without having a round that's supposed to play tomorrow. So we'll see. But nice. yeah, it's actually in the 60s right now, which is nice. But Yeah, uh, we're going to get into the 60s over the weekend, which will be good for the wedding. Hey, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, uh, Anderson LeClaire, listener to the show, is getting married this weekend. Congratulations, Anderson. Hopefully he, hopefully he's not listening to this and busy getting his uh, wedding stuff in order. Um, yeah, I, I assume he will uh, be uh, otherwise indisposed. Sure. But one last thing about sports before we go into the actual magic part of the show. Um, I don't know how you feel about this because it's different for other sports, for like basketball and football stuff. The offseason is actually like a real thing in baseball because like not everyone signs in a one or two day period. You know, there's like actual movement throughout the entire offseason and teams are like counter moving and like, you know, contract yeah. negotiations go for a while. And I actually like the business end of the yeah. of, Just like baseball itself, it's slow and plotting. Yes. Very good way to put it. Yes. <laughs> hey, look, it's maybe it'll speed up by uh, a percentage this year since the game itself sped up by a percentage this year, <laughs> yeah. which is great. Um, everybody if, is on a, on a trade clock. <laughs> I, I will say, sure. I will say this. If, if you, uh, if you were unaware or whatever, this year, baseball changed a bunch of rules to like speed the game up, make it more accessible for people. Try to take away that like, oh, it's really boring. And all that goes on. Um, I didn't think I would like it. I absolutely loved it. It was great. The pace of the games were amazing. Uh, attendance was up. Viewership was up besides the world series itself. It's one of the least viewed series of all time, but that's not. That's not a baseball problem. That's a human beings have too much to watch problem. And the internet has existed for the last you know, 20 years. Anyway, um, so all that's great. But I actually like the offseason. I love seeing on the moves, et cetera, et cetera. And like, you know, what the teams do. And I love seeing like, oh, like this team, this is really interesting from this team. And then seeing this, I'm like, what the hell is this team doing? You know, whatever. But also I kind of told Ross this for a second. Um, beforehand, it's something really cool happened in the World Series this year. There's a baseball player. There's been multiple. In fact, but there's there's a the most prominent he's the most prominent one with this name. His name is Will Smith, and we're not talking about the actor or anything like that. This is a left-handed relief pitcher. It's a white dude, and um, he uh, just did something that's never been done in any of the major sports before. He's actually won the World Series the last three years in a row, so he's been on the winning team, and there've been three different teams, Ross. So I could ask, does he? Does he have, and I'm pretty sure he's a free agent. Does he have a premium on his contract for next season? Like, you know. Do you, do you ask for that little extra, little extra cheddar? Maybe you're like, look, man, I'm apparently the luckiest dude on the face of the earth. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure his agent come will up. do that. You yeah, know, it'll come up. Yeah, you, you, the whole idea is to use whatever you can, and you yeah. just try to frame it as, as something valuable, even if it's not. Look, on Tuesdays uh, during day games where the the weather was over uh, sixty degrees, he was the best, second best reliever in the game last year. Okay. So like, how could you not pay this guy premium money, Ross? You know, one of those, one of those moments. Anyway, let's stop talking about uh, sports. Let's talk about some esports. I don't know that transition doesn't really work because I don't consider Magic an esport. But do you? Um, so side tangent. I would, I would sort of consider it a minor esport, but a I guess not really at this point. Tangentially an esport. Yeah, it's 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 esport adjacent. Yes, yeah, that's exactly yeah. 
Because, like, I still remember when the NPL happened, I was kind of like, all right, we're trying. I like it. And then they immediately, like, started, you know, curtailing it down the whole way through. But anyway, let's go ahead. We got a big list of cards we're going to go over today. Some cards that we, you know, pulled out that, hey, we think we're pretty cool or we just want to talk about or, hey, it might be cool for some of the people listening. Yeah. Last week, problem. we focused on yeah. Mythic Rares. We got a few of those today to, to finish those out. And then we focused on, on you know, uh, more rares and uncommons and stuff. And just, you know, obviously, we're not going to get to everything. Okay. So... Keep in mind, if we don't get to the card that you like, it is specifically because we hate you personally. Yeah. And we think your magic opinions are awful. Yes. So just keep that in mind. Or we're Make just sure. really dumb. That's probably a better <laughs> explanation. But Yeah, we've, we've had some misses over the years. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember we just like completely missed Omnath? Yeah. I didn't even know it was a card, by the way. I like Because you, you, you know what the problem is for me? Is a lot of the times I use uh, MTG Salvation for the spoiler. And I don't scroll all the way down. Like once I get to the comments and stuff, I go to the comments. I'm like, oh wait, there's gold. And that said, I just didn't scroll down. It is completely missed. Someone actually brought it up in our Discord the other day. They're like, oh yeah, the, the guys miss stuff sometimes. Like they just didn't even. They just like missed Omnath. Or one of them said it was, oh, it's just a commander card. Which, hey, it kind of looked like it, right? It had a whole. It cost a lot of different mana colors. It had a lot of text. That's generally a commander card. But as we've seen over the last two or three years now, we need to pay attention to these cards like Omnath, Atraxa. You know, there's another card that comes to mind, so I wonder if there's one of those in this set that we're going to kind of miss, not really uh, give it its time of day, and then all of a sudden it's just going to be really, really good. But let's go ahead and start off with the finishing the cycle that we talked about in last week's episode, where we talked about the uh, the gods in this set, and we were yep. missing the blue and the green one. So let's go ahead and start with the, the blue one. Again, I apologize to anyone who's listening. I'm going to try to not pronounce a lot of these names, because A, I'm going to butcher them very badly. And B, like, I'll just tell you, it's it's the blue god. You can figure this out. Uh, the deepest epoch? I, I don't even know, e man. Epoch. Like, that, sure. th that's just a an English word, canon. F Ross, it's not like I talk for a living here today. Shut up. <laughs> All right. All right. Two blue blue for a legendary god. It's a 4-3. It's got flying. Whenever you cast an instant spell from your hand, it gains rebound. Now, for everybody, you know, maybe if you weren't around or whatever, uh, what happens is, is it exiles as it resolves. At the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast that card from exile without paying its mana cost. So it kind of like flashes back the spell to your next upkeep. When this dies, return the tapped and transformed um, with three tide counters on it. That becomes a land. Uh, it taps for blue. And then you pay two and a blue and transfer it back into the uh, creature side of it, but only if it has no time counters on it and only as a sorcery. So... Ross, to me, this just kind of seems like what was it, Kefnet? Was it was a Kefnet? Yeah. Was the old, this is like Kefnet 2.0. Uh, it seems like a slight upgrade of the card. Like I, I do actually like this one. I think it's fine. The thing that gives me pause though is the three toughness. It's gonna die to like almost like everything in the format. So yeah, that was what, my thought exactly. Yeah. If if you didn't mention the three toughness, I was going to, and, that, and that's a problem. Even with the you know the the transformation, this is pretty tough to transform back. Um. I, I guess even if you don't transform it back, you've gotten a land, so like you turn all their removal spells into a path to exile, which isn't bad. So maybe we're underestimating that aspect of this cycle, where yeah. because you know a lot of times people you know don't want a path to exile or assassin's sure. trophy, your you know your cards, sure. Um, and you know eventually it will come back. The question is, you know, what kind of deck does it go into because. You don't really want to give your counter spells a rebound. So this is more for like, you know, the, the is it deck. Yeah, if you can like kill their creature, yeah. then, you know, they're not going to play another creature into your rebounded burn spell. So you just send it upstairs and you start clocking them. That's my kind of deck, Tannen. 
Yeah, I was gonna say if, if cards like Electrolyzer were hanging around, that this is this is a card yeah. I'd be like pretty this, interested in casting, you know, something along those lines, something that either has you know cantrips or something along something like yeah. there, maybe. And, and in an aggressive deck, the three toughness is less of a problem, you know, yes. if you're the one who's trying to play from ahead. So uh, certainly optimized it in that scenario, and uh, you know maybe something comes of it. Yeah, uh, you know, before we get over the green one, I'm just gonna say overall, I I've not been super impressed with the cycle of gods like i'm sure there's gonna be spots somewhere but i'd be very surprised if they all started showing up a ton in constructed but we'll see uh sorry so next we got the green one three green green for a trampling six five when it deals to combat damage to a player you reveal that many cards from the top of your library you may put a creature card and or a land card from among them onto the battlefield put the rest on the bottom in a random order when it dies try to the battlefield transformed under its own control it taps for a green, and then you can pay two to green to trade for it back, but all of you control ten or more permanents and only as a sorcery. Ross, this one at least seems really powerful. Yeah, this one's a must answer, and if you're able to play it in green decks that care about, you know, landfall or, you know, having lands of play, making land drops, then you really, you know, increase the punishment for your opponent using a, a typical removal spell on it, so... Yeah, I, I kind of like this one. Normally, I, I shy away from the more expensive cards in, in the, these kinds of cycles, but yeah, the, the the fact that, I mean, the fact that if your opponent doesn't block it, you're digging six deep. You know, you're sort of collected companying every turn, albeit only hitting one creature at a time, but, uh, you know, you can hit a big creature off of it. Um, I, I I think it sounds great, but... Is it? Um, you know, cards like this often have a way of not making it into constructed, uh, because you know you're they you just sort of get tempoed out when your opponent kills mm -hmm. it. And yeah. if this is the top end of your curve, then you're not getting as much value out of the trigger. So there's a bit of a balance there. Like, do you want to, you know, be playing from ahead so that you mitigate the downside of having an expensive creature with no enters the battlefield effect, or do you want to try to, you know? To take the risk and go for the the big upside of hitting some giant creature off of the trigger. Um, generally, you're, I'm you're inclined to play safe. Yeah, you're asking a lot for this card. So this is the yeah. problem that I have. Yeah. Um. Next, we have. I think this is a mythic. So it's really hard to tell. I think this is a mythic. Okay. It's really hard to tell in this set the mythics from the from the rares when you're looking at it on the computer screen. But uh, this is a reprint of a card that was expensive for quite a while. Uh, it actually made it into some constructed decks towards the end of its life and standard. And it was like Red White Angels, I think was it. I think Brad Nelson and some other people were playing it in a couple of things and did really well. Yeah. And Corey Baumeister did well with it as well. This is a resplendent angel. Every home that doesn't remember this one or maybe it wasn't around. It's one white white for an angel. It's a 3-3 flyer. At the beginning of your end step, I'm sorry, at the beginning of each end step, so this happens both both sides. If you've gained five or more life this turn, it creates a 4-4 four, four white angel creature token with flying and vigilant. So it just makes Sarah angel. And you can pay three and three whites so is six. Until in a turn, Resplendent Angel gains plus two, plus two, and gains lifelink. That's what makes this card really good is the fact that, look, on rate, it's a 3-3 three, three flyer for three with a with a ability that is scary, right? Like, if you were to gain five life, now you're, like, super fun. Right, if you're yeah. the opponent. So this is a must you, answer. You can build, it's an ability that's powerful enough that you can. it's worth building around. Yes, and the, the ability itself triggers the card, which is always... I'm, I'm always a pretty big fan of that when cards have some kind of ability, but then have the built-in way to also facilitate that ability. Yeah. You know, the kind of like one-stop shop. synergistic. Yeah. It's one-stop shopping. You know I mean? It's Walmart. We get it all, right? You can go get, you know, for, for all the different sections, get everything. 
So hey, I'm going to Walmart com- after we're done with this. Exactly, right? You're going to get everything you need. You need a new car, Walmart. You know, you need the small <laughs> yeah. thing, but Walmart. There you go. You got it all. So uh, definitely a card that I wouldn't be surprised if it makes us somewhere standard. Like we do have a couple Angel Matter cards in standard right now. We have a few things. If like that's an actual thing, maybe whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But this card is a decent standalone card. Like let's say, let's say there's like white aggressive decks in the format, right? And you need something to like break the mirror. This is a card that might break the mirror because like they're not going to have a ton of removal and the games are going to go quite a bit. You know, you're going to make six land drops in those games. And this is the kind of card that, yeah, you activate it once. Like how, how the hell is your opponent supposed to survive at that point? Like they're just dead. Yeah. It's definitely a, you know, a, a proven card. I don't see like the, the pure build around, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, angels or uh, other forms of life gain to, you know, supercharge it. But that's the good part about the card is it doesn't need to be supercharged. If you just put it into a reasonable, aggressively slanted mid-range deck, it will perform rather well. So uh, I could see it just, you know, being in various flavors of Esper. Anything. Uh, was the next card in a foreign language that... Yeah, the same row as Resplendent Angel. Is it the red one? Yep. Okay, let me, let me get this one for advice. This is... is it? Would you say Inti? Or Inti, Inti? yeah. Uh, Inti, Inti, Sun's... Caretaker. So this is one of the red for a 2-2. Legendary creature, Human Knight. Uh, Human Knight, we, we can work with that, right? It's already a decent, a decent creature for a 2-drop. Whenever you attack, you may discard a card. When you do, put a plus one to counter a target attacking creature. That creature gets trampled on turn. When you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library and you play that card until your next is up. I want to point out where it says play, not cast. So you, you can play lands on the top of your deck. Very good. This is the new card advantage engine that Red has had over the last, what, four years now? Like, this is the way they recoup cards that they lose. Uh, I'm a fan. If you can get any value from the discarded card in any way, I think this card is going to be pretty good. Yeah, if you can, you know, discard recursive creatures uh, and things like that. Flashback or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I The thing I like about this card is that you're able to spread around the counters to different creatures rather than it just like pumping itself. Okay. So Huge. as you're generating the card advantage, you know, once they deal with the Inti, you've also left behind some effect on the battlefield, pumping your, your smaller creatures so they can attack or, you know, giving your bigger creatures trample so they can't be blocked effectively. Uh, and so there's a lot of flexibility in that first ability. And uh, that means it's going to, you know, play even better than it reads. And it also, reads like discard a card, draw a card, get a battle growth. But that battle growth sometimes means, you know, your 2-2 is attacking when it otherwise wouldn't have. So it's like you're getting three damage yeah. instead of, you know, one. Or it means your 6-6 six, six is now a 7-7 seven, seven trampler. So when they, you know, plan to chump it with a 1-1, one, one, you're getting six damage through that you otherwise wouldn't. Uh, so those kinds of things are, are always useful. And the fact that it does it in counters so it stays around even after the NT dies is just gravy. Also, there was a red deck that's been pretty popular in standard the last few years. That hasn't put up the results lately, but it's just like pretty much a haste-based red deck. And what's the four drop? It's like Raging Kaiju or whatever, the one that puts a plus plus muscle counter on something, and then it deals yeah, damage then... equal to the modified creatures. So this is another creature that you can maybe put in that deck that like, hey, like I'm going to have modified stuff quite a bit. Also, it curves really well with uh, Kamado, Kamado versus Kazan or whatever the, the red yeah. history thing is. 
Sorry. Sorry with the name. I'm horrible with the names this morning. I apologize. Didn't get a good no, you got, sleep. You got it right. You just you just need confidence, Tannen. Yeah. It's, you had it's a like, raging kaiju and Kamado faces Kakazan. You were yeah. dead on. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the number one thing they, they teach you whenever you're doing Barkas. It's like, look, if you're a little unsure about what you're saying, just say it with conviction and believe what you're saying and everyone else listening will also believe it. So. Yeah. Well, fortunately, that's how I live my life. So yeah, sure. I have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? All right. Uh, next is a really sweet one that you and I both kind of like, and I'm sure there's some commander players out there who are going to love this card. This one's called Corpses of the Lost. Two and a black enchantment. Skeletons you control get plus one, plus zero, and have haste. Uh, when Corpse of the Lost enters the battlefield, create a two-two black skeleton pirate creature token. At the beginning of your step, if you descended this turn, pay one life. If you do, return Corpse of the Lost to its owner's hand. You descended if a permanent card was put into your graveyard from anywhere. So that's also another thing with the, the red card we're talking about. It does trigger to send, right? I keep forgetting to discard now. Triggers to send. It's not like uh, you know, fatal push where a card has to leave the battlefield. Yeah, it's from anywhere. Permanent but, goes to the graveyard from anywhere. Yeah. So, so this is a three man enchantment that makes a three two. Right, pumps in in doubles and starts pumping yeah, more a, and more. A, a three two haste. Wait, is this haste? The the first ability gives your skeleton oh, possible show and haste. I didn't even see the haste part. Okay, yeah. So this card's even better than I thought it was. They get better in doubles, obviously, and then you start triggering them. They do a lot of stuff. Plus. Let's be real. You're in a black deck. You either can find ways to gain life uh, to get back the life that you're using for this, or you can, you know, find ways that, hey, maybe damaging myself is actually good in some of these ways. Plus, hey, man, like, it's a skeleton lord type card. We're going we're gonna to get some skeleton decks. I'm in. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously, it, you know, plays well at multiples yeah. uh, because it's not legendary. The fa- You know, it's going to be pretty easy to descend. And, you know, sometimes you're going to have so much stuff going on, you don't want to return it. You have the option not to, well, having that option. And the way, you know, aggressive decks have to operate in the in magic nowadays is you, you can't stop pressuring your opponent. You can't take turns off to yeah. try to gain some card advantage and leverage that into the mid or late game. Your opponent's card advantage and their threats are going to be too powerful. So you have to find ways to make yourself resilient while also applying pressure. And that's what this card does. You make your 3-2 Haster, and now you've got an enchantment that can keep coming back to your hand uh, as your opponent is answering your threats to keep making more haste creatures. Uh, So uh, I'm a fan. I don't know how much you're going to get, you know, out of the skeleton synergy, uh, but I think the card is self-contained enough to just play well on its own as a threat in any sort of black aggressive deck. Huge limited bomb as well. All right. Uh, another black card you wanted to talk about here. This is Starved Revenant. Two black black for a 4-4 four, four creature spirit horror. When it enters the battlefield, surveil two. Then for each card you put on top of your library, draw a card and lose three life. Descent eight. Whenever you draw a card, if you have eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard, target player loses one life and you game. There's a lot to light here. Yes. They're, it's sort of like a Sylvan library attached to a 4-4. Four, four. And obviously, like when you played in the late game, that's when sometimes the life the life loss might be sketchy. But if you can get to descend eight, then suddenly you're paying six life, but you at least gain two of it back. So now you've paid only four life. You've dealt a couple damage to your opponent. So this is a card that I very much like. The problem is it costs two black black, and it's not battle shielded. shielded. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I- I'm I'm along the same lines. Is you for all this? Uh, 
I do like the card. I think it's really cool. I think for me, I'm wondering if Descent is supposed to be like a semi-fixed version of Dredge. You know, of like, hey, your graveyard's going to matter. You're going to like mill some cards, do creative ways of putting cards in your graveyard and have like some payoff without it being like your deck's entire identity and doing busted, busted things with it. So I'm kind of liking this. And I'm sure there's people that are going to find ways to, to make this good. Like we have some pretty cool like flashback uh flashback spells in standard like some reanimator type stuff you know they might yeah. be able to do some cool stuff with that so yeah if you can find ways to get value out of surveilling cards to the graveyard then you don't have to you know take as much damage from from the trigger you know you take three you draw one of the cards you wanted you effectively draw a card by putting some flashback or recursive creature in the graveyard uh and you're good to go i like the you know i like those kind of one shot card advantage creatures that are still sizable enough to rumble but once again, it's not shielded. All right, up next I mean, we have shielded in standard for like seven more years. Yeah, I know, right? I'm I'm one of the people. I'm not the biggest fan of the new rotation stuff. I understand why we're doing it. I do think it's a good move if you want standard to be a thing. Personally, I don't like it for the the what's the word I'm looking for here for like the variety's sake. But anyway, uh, next up we got one of Ross's favorite things in the world: a white one drop uh, keeper of the inner sky. One white for one two creature human soldier. As long as there are three or more counters on Keeper of the Ender's Guide, it has flying and vigilance. And then you can tap three untapped artifacts and or creatures you control. You can put a plus one, plus one counter on Keeper of the Ender's Guide, then scry one, activate only as a sorcery. So Ross, decent one drop. Loves to have stuff put on it. We do have uh, some creatures in the set that put plus one, plus one counters on other ones or counters on two other creatures that are white that are going to work out well here. Plus, this is a really good one for that situation we were talking about earlier. You know, you're in like the white mirror or like you're sitting there against something that block really well and you're like, I don't have anything to do with my mana or whatever, which the white deck's very good at doing that now. You have, what is it, Recruiter of the, what, the, the one mana 2-1 that you could pay for and like recruit. Uh, enlist or recruitment officer. Yeah, recruitment officer. I want to say Recruiter of the Guard and like, that's not it. And yeah. So like, the, this is what they're doing a lot with the white creatures now. So like, now you're going to have like a decent curve, but like in the past, if like white mini decks, if you could stem the initial bleeding or if you could make the board not advantageous for them to just attack you every turn their deck didn't do much because they're just drawing one and two drops that don't do a lot now you have to do with your time and your mana and your excess stuff that's sitting around yeah anytime you can turn your one drop into a very formidable threat later in the game that's a win for an aggressive deck you know it's reminiscent of cards like figure of destiny that was a standard staple in its day uh, and the fact that Keeper of the Inner Sky is a human means it synergizes very well with, you know, Thalia's Lieutenant, hey. with Illuminarch Aspirant, all other powerful cards. So, yeah, this should be a, a staple, aggressive creature moving forward in Standard. And I think it's an option for Pioneer humans. Um, I'd be a little worried of playing this alongside Hopeful Initiate because... You need more two power one drops to start turning on training for hopeful hey. initiate, um, but maybe there's a there's a mix. You know, yeah, they've gotten you know pretty diverse with their one drop set in in uh, recent years. There's a lot, or recent months. There's you know there's usually like one Kithian, four hopeful initiate, some number of dauntless bodyguard, uh, you know, some number of of recruitment officers. So maybe there's room for a couple of these, but I don't think I would yeah. play the full four. Also, we haven't seen the entire set yet, and maybe there's like another one or two drop that makes map tokens, because we've seen map tokens in this set that would be good enough that you could play alongside this, and now you can start beefing up your creature a little bit faster. You know, any, uh, 
Freeman Inspector is a sweet one with, with with this one as well. You know, making a creature and an artifact for one mana that you could possibly use for the ability is pretty great. Yeah, that's true. I, I I didn't think about the synergy with map tokens. That's very nice. So yeah, I was gonna say if you said you didn't think about Freeman Inspector, I was gonna have a nice long talk with you about you and your partner because you should always think about <laughs> every card's impact along with Freeman Inspector way around her. All right. Anyway. Next, we have a both sweet blue one, Kite Sail Marcinus. This is two and a blue for a human pirate. It's got flying and a warp one, and it's a two three. Well, here's the battlefield for each player. Choose up to one other target artifact and or creature that player controls. For as long as Kite Sail Marcinus remains on the battlefield, the chosen permanent becomes a treasure artifact with it, it becomes it becomes a treasure. Yeah, and then it loses all its other abilities. Okay, I want to point out it says for each player, Ross. It says other so. If you have another creature or whatever, you have to target with this, right? Uh, it says up to one other, so you oh, don't okay, have sure. to target. You don't, yeah. you don't see, say, so you don't yeah, have to you, you got the option. So, like, if you have a map token, you can turn it into a treasure token. If you need the mana, oh. uh, you know, you can turn a creature that is enchanted and useless. You know, if it's pacified in some way, uh, you can turn it into a treasure and get some value out of it. Uh, and obviously, like turning one of your opponent's better threats into a treasure is definitely a trade you'll make. The fact that it has ward one means it's going to be hard to answer on uh, at a mana loss or a mana gain for the person answering it. Uh, a reasonable-sized flying body, so you can rumble with it. You know, with creatures like this, but they don't have any kind of evasion, they're usually too small to really attack and block effectively, so they you don't get any real benefit out of them being creatures. It just becomes like an Oblivion Ring that's more vulnerable. Hey. And in this case, the Flying and the Ward 1 both help that. So uh, I like this card. This is the kind of card that, you know, that I like playing, aggressive blue cards that give your blue deck some way to interact. Uh, but it can do a lot of tricky things, you know, like I said, turning your map tokens or blood tokens or other permanents that are otherwise useless into treasures and maybe, like, ramping you a little bit to get more of a tempo game. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of this kind of card, too. Next, we have Queen's Bay Paladin. Um, I feel like I should be, like, seasoning something. All right, three black black for a five four. Vampire Knight. Uh, whenever Queen's Bay Paladin enters the battlefield or attacks, return up to one target vampire card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. You lose life equal to its mana value. If a creature with finality counter on it would die, exile it instead. So this is pretty cool. This is a 5-4 vampire for 5 mana that just has reanimate attached to it, but you could, but with some, uh, some restrictions. Yeah. So I view it as sort of the curve topper in an aggressive vampire deck. Okay. And you're, you know, your opponent has swept you. You play this thing, bring back your best, you know, three drop, lose three, and suddenly you've got a really significant battlefield again. I love this as a curve topper in aggressive decks. Yeah, actually, big big fan of a card like this as well. Yeah, it's really like good the best aggressive titan. Yeah. Uh, what have yeah. we seen? You know, aggressive creatures have that you know, ETB or attacks ability on it. Not not that often. Uh, up next, we have a sweet green card. It's one of my favorite names in the set. This well, is... Hold on, Tannen. I, I, I missed one I want to talk about before sure, we go down to the, do the row below it. The, so the green card above the one you were about to talk sure. to. Oh, this talk one's about sweet Hulking too. Raptor. Yeah. So 2GG for a 5-3 dinosaur has Ward 2. And at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, add GG. Does that mean is a GG for your opponent? Because you're uh, going to like ramp no, you, up your, and... your pre-combat main phase. So no, you no, play no, this I'm on joking. turn four. I'm, I'm joking. It was a joke yeah. about like, it's a good okay. game for the... Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, okay, that, I completely missed that. Ross, what am I going to do with you? They're, they're so not we... funny that you have to explain them, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have six mana on the next turn, seven if you make a land drop, if you cast <laughs> this on turn four. And if you, know, if you ramp into this on turn three, 
suddenly you've got something going. Normally, I'd say the three toughness, I'm not interested, too easy to answer. But with War 2, much more difficult to answer. So unless your opponent's answering this with a one-mana spell, it uh, you know, thus, thus paying three mana, they're not gaining any uh, tempo on you, no mana advantage. And if you ramp into this and get it down earlier, they just might not have the mana to pay for the yeah. ward. So I, I think this is a sneaky good card for dinosaur decks. I haven't really looked at like the totality of what exists for dinosaurs, and we still have you know thirty ish cards to, left to be previewed. But that that to me, especially given that they have the the one mana you know birds of paradise for dinosaurs that we'll talk about later, this hey. is a really premium card to ramp into because it just <laughs> continues to press that advantage. Just because other people are going to ask this question and wonder. Do you think it's a card that could show up at any number in Monogreen Devotion? God, no. This is not the kind of card that Monogreen Devotion wants. It's not going nearly big enough. It would be worse than the the turtle, Blossoming Tortoise, and Tortoise that got tried and you know sort of discarded yeah. pretty quickly in that deck. All right, next we have another green card called Sentinel of the Nameless City. Two and a green for a 3-4 Merfolk Warrior Scout. That's a, that's a lot of abilities. I mean, a lot of uh, creature types. It's got Vigilance. And whenever it attacks, I'm sorry, whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you create a map token. So speaking of aggressive titans. Yes. This this one's really sweet. So it's a 3-4 Vigilance for a free mana that immediately gives you something. And we've seen this over the last couple of years. Like, look, maybe map tokens aren't broken, right? They're good. They're fine. There's something maybe you can do with these artifacts, I think, that matter. Um, some things like that. There, there's some cards that I, that I, that I was going to talk about. I forgot to go look up the name of them that map tokens interact well with, but... I do think there's like a mono green, possibly aggressive deck that this card fits in really well to. So you're looking at a big body for three mana. It leaves behind some other stuff. And we've seen this in the past. This is like what the new playable creatures look like in Magic nowadays. They're a little overstatted for their cost and they give you some kind of thing, you know, some kind of yeah. substance along we, with their We cards. used to sort of have either or, right? Yeah. It was either a, a small creature that generated some material value or it was a big creature and you were just trying yeah. to beat down. Now you kind of have to do both, and I think this one does it quite well. You know, yeah. especially if you're if you're developing any sort of artifact synergies or explorer synergies, yeah. those map tokens are going to be quite valuable. And even if you're not, this is still a well-statted creature. It has a lot of relevant creature types, being a merfolk and a warrior scout, much less so. So there's just a lot of you know hidden value on the card as well. Uh, so uh, I'm in. This is one of my favorite cards in the set. I think. Sure. Next day, a piece of equipment that you liked. This was a Dire Fleet Flail, right? It is one red artifact equipment. It says, equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero. It, equip, it equips for one. I'm sorry, this one's in, uh, yeah, so it equips for one. And it has craft with one other artifact for three red, red, which means, uh, how does this work again? You can do what? You need to, like, exile something from your, your graveyard. It, it can be in play or in your graveyard. Right. Okay. So you need one other artifact. In your in your graveyard or on the battlefield, you pay three red red as a sorcery. You exile both of them and return this one transformed. And it transforms into Dire Fleet Cannon artifact equipment. The equipped creature gets plus three plus zero. Whenever this creature attacks, you may sacrifice another artifact. Whenever you do, deal damage equal to its power to target creature. I'm just intrigued. You know, obviously Watsi has been pushing equipment synergies for a long time, and I've tried to make equipment decks work. I tried them on versus a lot. But one of the issues usually is you just don't have enough cheap equipment. And this is a relatively powerful cheap equipment. Um, now, obviously, like the the issue is craft is sort of doing something similar to just having lots of equipment. It's giving you something to do with your mana in the late game. Um, 
But I was intrigued by this one just being relatively powerful for its cost. You know, I, I don't know. If, I know Bone Splitter was like a limited staple. <laughs> I don't remember if anybody played it in Constructed back then. Um, but I, I guess Affinity was around the entire time, so probably not. But um, I'm I'm not like you know super high on this one, but I was kind of intrigued on this one. So I was wondering what you thought about it. Um, I can see, yeah, I could definitely see a red deck playing this because it's, it's extremely cheap and extremely aggressive for equipment, which I think is like where you want to be, right? Like it doesn't cost a ton to do this, so you're not going to get blown out of your opponent as a removal spell in response to it. Also, it's easy to weave it into your um into like your your curve as the game goes on, right? And then it gives you like a finisher. It gives you like that thing to do with five mana if you get there because like you're not going to have a lot of fine drops and stuff in your deck. And generally, you've kind of like spent most of your resources by turn five in a lot of your aggressive run decks. So I like the way this one plays out. I'd have to see it in some games, but I can see it definitely ending games very quickly. Plus it makes your creatures get through, which, hey, I'm a big fan. And then if you get any value, like sacrificing the artifacts or whatever too, which like, I'm sure there's going to be some cheap creatures that make treasure tokens and or map uh, tokens. So it should be pretty easy to pay these costs, I think, as well. Yes, exactly. And pay, you know, pay them with very little investment. In, yeah. But like it's, it's the investment doesn't come from time or mana more than what you already were paying into the card you're getting there, which kind of a tactile kind of thing. Speaking of which, the next card we're talking about is going to do that pretty well. And it might actually play well with this card. If you don't mind, we're going to go to the next one. That's Breach's Eager Villager. It's everybody's favorite uh, thing in the world. A legendary goblin pirate. Except this one's not Ragavan. So it's two and a red, even though it looks like it. It's a 3-3 three, three first strike. Uh, this is important. I'm going to get the wording of this correct. Whenever a pirate you control attacks, not this one, just any pirate you control attacks, choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn. First one, create a treasure token. Second one, target creature can't block this turn. Third one, exile this option of your library and you can play it this turn. Again, you can play it so it's a land. Ross, I like this card a lot if, if your deck has enough pirates to trigger this multiple times. Because even on turn three, if you play this and it's not attacking, if you get to trigger this once or twice, that's huge. You could be like, okay, well, you can't block, or I'm going to make a treasure token so I can do more things next turn. Or if you like you get to untap with this, now you've got card advantage as well. Like, this card seems pretty good. Yeah, it, it's certainly a must-answer threat. I think it's easy enough to answer that you need to consistently have a pirate on the battlefield to attack with it. To, to attack with and trigger it immediately, but there are some good aggressive pirates in the set. You know, notably the 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 is it one uh, that's an uncommon. It's blue red for a two two. This is Captain Storm Plunder of Cosmium. It says whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on target pirate you control. So you can you know curve this into breaches, attack, make a treasure token. Now you triggered Captain Storm. Put a counter on my my two two. Now I'm attacking for three, and I have two three three pirates. Uh, and I'm sort of off to the races already. You're really I've on the a little bit of value. Too. Yeah, you get that treasure token, you might be able to shock something or do something else. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that you can do. <clears throat> um, I like this card a lot. I think that um, we haven't seen a lot of, like, aggressive decks do well in the last couple of years. Like, they're traditional aggressive decks. Let's put it that way. You know, I know yeah. Blue Eye Soldiers is doing well in standard right now, but it's not, like, the traditional, like, mono-red type stuff that we had in in Sayer for a while, and I'm, I'm kind of missing that. You know, I'm, like that nostalgia hit would be nice for me. Yeah, and I, I don't think you need too many pirates with this deck, with this card. Like, you don't need to be a full-on pirate deck, but you gotta have some, and in particular, have some one- and two-drop pirates, so they'll be on the battlefield when you cast Breaches. And, yeah, you know, the, the versatility is great. You can get ahead on the battlefield if your opponent's got nothing going on. You can draw a bunch of extra cards if you've got nothing much going on. Uh, or you can force through damage. Those are like yeah. the three things an aggro deck wants to do. 
Now for the you're next card, covering all the bases. Exactly. Now for the next card, we're gonna do if uh, if you're a fan of four mana rats, this is a card for you. But this one's gonna make you work for it a little bit, Ross. Uh, two black black for a card called Terror Tide. It's a sorcery. It has uh, it has descent. It says all creatures get minus X and minus X until the turn, where X is the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. So if, you know, you're in that, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, decks that, like, you're milling stuff over, you're discarding cards, you're putting stuff into your graveyard, this can be a sweeper for you. So while it is a four-mana, quote-unquote, sweeper, Ross, it, it's got extra steps. Yeah, and I wanted to bring this one up because I think those extra steps are too much to ask. In particular, decks that are playing a, you know, a high enough permanent count to consistently make this card powerful are not usually the kinds of decks that want to play a four-mana sweeper. You know, the four-mana sweeper decks are decks that are playing lots of spells, drawing cards, maybe countering stuff, playing spot removal. So I think it's hard to find the deck that is both controlling enough to want to play a sweeper, but permanent heavy enough to where this is the best option among the various sweeper options that they'll have. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree with you. I mean, like, the sweepers that we have in standard right now are good. We've talked about the fact that they might be too good, actually. Yeah, um, all the exile sweepers, so yeah. annoying. The next card is uh, what might be my vote for my, my, my vote. This might be my favorite card in the set. You're going to see why when I read through it. It's not the most powerful card in the set by any means, but I like it. Uh, how would you... Is this Tishana? Yeah. Tishana's Tidebinder. Two and a blue for a Merfolk that's a 3-2 of Flash. We've had some pretty good flashing Merfolks for 3-2 uh, in the past. Anyway... When this enters the battlefield, counter up to one target activated or triggered ability. If an artifact, creature, or planeswalker ability counted this way, that permit loses all abilities until this leaves the battlefield. Ross, this is pretty powerful. So, right off the bat, people are going to think stifle, right? Like, you can hit a fetch land or something, you know, funky, cool like that. But here's the other thing about this. I love that second line that this is almost like a prison card. So, if it hits an artifact, creature, or a planeswalker, you've now, like, neutered that card. Like, that card doesn't get to activate. So, Imagine playing this card. I mean, imagine having this card. You have three mana up, right? And your opponent pays four mana for a Planeswalker. And they'll like, activate my Planeswalker. You're like, in response, I'll play this card. I will counter that ability. Uh, so does it, it still gets the it still gets the uptick in loyalty, right? Because that's part of the yes, cost. Yes, because that's cost. Right. So you still get the uptick in loyalty. So you play this. Now, not only do you stop the ability from happening, you get a three, two in play. But like now that Planeswalker doesn't activate it, so you don't necessarily have to attack them. I mean, it doesn't attack the Planeswalker. You can attack them instead if you want here. Also, let's talk about the fact that it's a blue card that has flash and does stuff, so you can, you can pitch this to, like, you know, Force of Wills, Force of, you know, Force of Negations. Also, it's a Merfolk, which is really sweet, because we've seen Merfolk coming in out of, you know, modern lately, It maybe even there's a world in, like, Pioneer, where this is a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think about, you know, what if you counter, like, a Witch's Oven activation, and now you effectively stop the Witch's Oven, or you counter a Mayhem Devil trigger and take that ability away yep. from the Rondo Sacrifice deck. No, no, no. <laughs> no, yeah. no. The, uh, Karn? Uh, how, how about Shieldren? That's a, that's a sweet one. <laughs> uh, there's a lot, like, every, like you said, you know, these days, I think for years, everyone who reads a Stifle ability immediately thinks like, oh, counter fetch lands. That's, lands, that's yeah. not, because it's three mana, that's not what this one is designed to yeah. do. It's designed to counter something small but the main value you're getting out of it is shutting down all those abilities later Heck. on. So you got to think things like Shieldred, you know, you can counter Omnath's landfall ability. Um, 
Uh, does it lose yeah. all abilities? Like, if, if you counter the card draw off Omnath, does it take away the landfall abilities? I think so. The card yeah, loses, it loses abilities. all abilities. Yes. So, yeah, you so can counter the, cool, the card draw off Omnath and turn off, turn off everything. So, there, I I think this is going to be a tricky enough card that you're going to want to see it in in Pioneer. Like, people are going to try this. You might see yeah. this in Modern. I think you might see this in Modern. It stops the ring, right? Yeah, it'll stop the. It will. It will also stop them from losing life from the ring. We still take that ability away, but that's fine. You know, in Pioneer, you can stop Kiora, take away Barring. all the abilities of Kiora because that's a difficult one to attack down. You don't want to like you know yeah. give your opponent six life. I'm liking this card more and more as we're talking about yeah. Saras. <laughs> you can counter Cavalier of Thorns, and it yep. even takes away its reach if you counter. Nice. We we talked about this with the blue card, and we talked about earlier that you know turn something that they control into a treasure while it's in play. Here's the yeah. thing. A lot of people see this and they're like, well, it's not a permanent answer. And then like, you know, they might remove this or might get to do whatever. But like, thing is, is like, you're progressing your board state. You're putting a creature into play that can attack them. And like, you're, you're still doing things. And these are the kind of cards that have been good in blue in the history of magic. It's like a very good tempo positive card. So like, it fits into that kind of play style really well. And especially if you're in a deck that has counterspell in it. Or has force negation in it, or something where you want to leave up mana, like having this where like they do something, you're like, you get the choice. I can either stop that card, or I can play this, or I can play some other kind of threat. If you have Spectral Sailor in play, you can draw a card, they don't do anything. You know, you're using all of your mana. So if you look back at those decks in the history of like Magic River, these kind of cards fit really well into them. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that, you know, there's just so many things. You you're it's hard to you know, even list all of the possible things that it can do, but they're all really relevant things for the type of blue creature decks that are mm -hmm. playing this card. Because those are decks that don't have a lot of removal. So cards like Mayhem Devil are always a huge problem. Yeah. This is a, a pretty clean answer. Obviously, you need to have it in hand. It's a reactive answer, but, you know, the blue decks are good at being able to set that up. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan. I think yeah. this card is being, you know, mistyped or mischaracterized, um, but it's going to do a, a lot of good things. I'm kind of excited to, like, See what a Merfolk deck looks like in Pioneer after this set. There's because some good one drops as well. So like, yeah, it's like got a lot of pretty good cards. Like, have we hit a critical mass where just like you know, collected company Merfolk deck can be a thing? Yeah, it's it, the biggest thing is like, is the mana good? That's always the problem, and we're starting to get some more lands for it. You know, we've got the, the blue green flash land, we've got the blue green slow land now. So like, maybe, maybe, yeah, between I mean between pathway. Cavern of Souls, Botanical Sanctum, and Breeding yeah, I think Pool. You're good. Yeah, I think you're, I think, I think you're yeah. good. Yeah, I think you're good now. There's a, you're, and there's an extra one in this set too. Like there's some sweet stuff. All right. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's now three five color you know creature type lands in Pioneer yeah. between Secluded Courtyard, Unclaimed Territory, and Cavern of Souls. So yeah, man. You know, maybe there's room for some five color uh you know five color decks there. I, I've been trying to find some. It's hard. Yeah. All right, next we got Sanguine Evangelist. Two to white hold for hold on, Sorry, I apologize. What? We're, no. we're skipping. Uh, I skipped another skipping. really important one. It's right above so Sanguine Evangelist. Oh, it? yeah. Well, Ross, you know what? You can just get lost. All right. <laughs> All right, for everybody at home, the next card is Get Lost. It's one of the white instead. Uh, this this one's really sweet. All right, destroy target creature, enchantment, or planeswalker. Its controller creates two map tokens. Just for everybody, we've been talking about map tokens. Tell them what it is real quick. It's artifact with uh, one tap. Sacrifices artifact. Target creature you control explores activate only as a sorcery. So let's talk about this for a second. They don't have a creature. They don't get to actually use the map tokens, which is sweet. But this is a one of the light instant that destroys a creature enchantment or plant. So it destroys most non-land permanents that are going to be in play. Obviously, you can't hit an artifact. But also, 
if you need to, you can hit your own shit <laughs> and create a bunch of maps. Uh, this is a very versatile removal spell and maybe even better than its predecessor. What was the name of that one? Um, the one that like, let them investigate or whatever. Um, um, yeah, I, I know the one you're talking about. It's but to I a can't... white, yeah, destroy creature or planeswalker, they investigate. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no, I, I think two map tokens are worth less than a clue token in general. Obviously, the added versatility of being able to hit an enchantment is great. Uh, so that this is a really excellent removal spell, especially for white aggressive decks. I think it'll slot well into the sideboard of humans and pioneer. Uh, in particular, it's very good at destroying Grease Fang, which mm -hmm. that deck has struggles to answer. So, uh, you know, right away I can see it a home for it, and I think it'll find many others. The yes. Very, very good removal spell. Yep. All right. So next is another white card that we talked about, Sanguine Evangelist, two and a white creature vampire cleric, two one. It has battle cry ability. Some of you might not remember. This is a old school uh, ability. Whenever this creature attacks, each other attacking creature gets plus one plus zero. It's on it. Uh, when it enters the battlefield or dies, create a 1-1 one, one black bat creature token with fly. So, yeah. obviously this card looks good on the surface, Ross, but I'm sure there's more reasons why you like it because of like some of the little underlying stuff that's going on in this set. Uh, yeah, obviously that you know there's some sacrifice stuff going on with Bartholomew, and that card has gotten a lot of hype. I just wanted to highlight that this one has gotten comparatively very little hype. If we were still doing our, you know, top eight lists, this probably mm -hmm. would have been my pick for most underrated card in the set. Sure. Because no one's talking about it. And I just think it's a good card on rate. Yeah. You know, the battle cry is a really nice ability. You're, you're effectively getting four power if they don't answer this creature and it's spread across two bodies. If they kill the evangelist to, to try to take away the battle cry from you, now you've traded for a card and you still have two one one flyers around. You still have half a lingering souls and you've already traded for a card like that's this card feels comparable to Lingering Souls to me. That's that's a wild statement, but I, I see it's it's a very powerful statement. I think it's better way to yeah. that. Yeah, I don't think it's quite uh, at that level because the two one body can get brick walled uh, by bigger creatures, but it, it, it's not that far off. Is it? And it, I expect it to you know be a staple in aggressive decks as well as sacrifice decks. All right, next we've got another version of Kellen. Uh, Kellen Daring Traveler. One of the white for a human... Does that say fairy? Human fairy scout. Okay, I, I wasn't expecting the white creature to be a human fairy scout. Okay, sorry. Uh, one of the white for a 2-3. Uh, when, it, when it attacks, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card with mana value 3 or less, put it into your hand. Otherwise, you may put the card into your graveyard. So... Already pretty cool, right? Two three with some card advantage, some card selection. Descends does all kinds of cool stuff, but it also has a uh, adventure as well. Uh, Journey one, one green adventure. Create X map tokens where X is one plus the number of opponents who control an artifact. Ross, you like this card? I like this card because I don't feel the need to have it in a Selesnya deck where I'm casting the adventure. I think two mana two three. That's going to draw a card a surprising amount of the time when it attacks. And otherwise, like if you don't like the card, you can put it into your graveyard. I guess um, I guess you only put it in your graveyard if it's if it's non-creature. No, right? Otherwise, you may. Yeah, if it's but, you know, if you're digging for gas, it's going to, you know, get lands off the top of your deck and find you gas, even if it's not drawing cards. I think that card is already playable. And the, you know, if you're able to, you know, get a uh, a map token or two out of it cool so uh you know you're getting even more value just just being at two uh two three for two that 
you know, it's probably drawing card maybe half the time if you build your deck well, maybe a little under that, like drawing, drawing four tenths of a card every time you attack with it. I'm it. Guy. All right, next we got Malcolm the Luring Scoundrel. One of the blue for a legendary creature Siren Pirate. The 2 1 will flash and fly. Whenever it deals damage to a player, you put a chorus. Oh, I'm sorry. Whenever this deals damage to a player, you put a chorus counter on it. Draw a card, then discard a card. If if there are four or more chorus counters on Malcolm, you may cast the discarded card without paying its mana cost. This is one of my favorite cards in the set. Sure. Because. While, while it's true, you're unlikely to get that final line to go off very often. Uh-huh. You know, when you do, it's awesome, and the card can dominate a game as a result. But just a 2-1 flyer that loots when it hits them, 2-1 flash flyer, I think is, again, a solid card. Especially uh, yeah. when you're with Descent. Like, the, the looter turns on Descent if you're discarding permanence, and you get to turn on all those cards every turn. So it has synergy with the rest of the set. It has reasonable stats. You know, Fairy Mastermind has been I just staple. would say, is, 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 this plays probably well in a Fairy deck as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, I view this card as sort of comparable. Maybe it's worse, and that's a problem. They kind of sit on top of each other for a while until Mastermind rotates. That's my one concern with the card, but okay. I, I think it is at a similar level. Sure. Next, we have a green ramp card. It's Intrepid Paleontologist. One of the green for a 2-2 creature human druid. You can tap it to add one mana of any color. You also pay two to exile a target card from a graveyard. It says you may cast dinosaur creature spells from among cards you own exiled with this card. If you cast a spell this way, that creature enters the battlefield with a finality counter on it. If a creature with finality counter would die, exile it instead. So, uh, Ross, it's two, two for two, the taps add mana so you can counter ramp it. But, like, if you're playing a dinosaur deck, it's got built in graveyard hate and then some card advantage as the game goes along. So, it's not a horrible yeah i love mana creatures that have give me value in the late game and this one does that in spades you know just being able to recast your three and four mana dinosaurs pretty regularly means that this is a mana creature that is a must kill on turn six just like it is a must kill on turn two and there's not many mana creatures that you can say that about agreed uh next we have someone we have a Merfolk that does one of my favorite jobs in the world, or one of my favorite pastimes in the world. Uh, Jade Light Spelunker. Uh, X to the green for a Merfolk Scout with a 1-1. One, one. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, it explores X times. And for everybody at home, let's just remind them what Explorer is. Uh, you may reveal the top card of your library. You put the card into your hand, give it the land. Otherwise, put a plus one zone counter on that creature. Then you may put the card back, or put it into your graveyard. So, Descend, obviously gets triggered here. Could be a huge one, but like, this is a card that fills every rung of the curve in a, any deck that's in, especially a Merfolk deck. So if you need it, it can be that 1-1 one, one for 1 that's a Merfolk deck. It's certainly get pumped down the line. To the, but if you top deck it on turn 6 where you got Finest Delays in play, now you got White, a threat. Uh, you get to kind of like churn through your deck, maybe draw some extra cards here off some lands, or try to find a specific card on top of your deck as well, Gross. Yeah, this card really asks the question, you know, how many explorers is worth a card? It would be, uh, how many explorers do you need before you reach the value of draw a card? And uh, I don't know exactly what the number is. Obviously, you know, in a 20 land deck, if you explore three times, you're pretty likely to hit one of those lands. Uh, and so you are technically drawing a card at that point if you're bidding every uh, non-land that you see. Um, you know, sometimes you won't want to do that because you want to draw that card. 
or you want to make the Spelunker big. Um, but I, I like that this card really pushes explore synergies. And, you know, in those decks, you're, you're going to want, you know, something that really, you know, I, I, I sort of imagine this card next to um, Wild Growth Walker in, in, you know, in Pioneer. You can play this on turn three as a follow-up, and it's similar to Jade Light Ranger. Um, you know, it just has one less power, right? But when you draw it later in the game, you know, suddenly all the lands that you've drawn off your previous Explorer creatures and the land drops you've made now feed this, which then digs you towards your next piece of gas, and you've kind of got this sort of engine going. Um, I'm not sure how good it is as a standalone threat, because it's never going to be like that big, you know. You, you spend it, say X equals four. It's pretty likely that you'll, you know, pretty often you're going to hit like two lands, and now you've got a five mana three three. That yeah, you've drawn a couple of cards, but is is that really good enough? So I, I do think you need to be synergizing with the explore here to make this card good, rather than as a standalone. But I'm I, I'm excited to see if a deck like that can work. Next up, we got Triumphant Chops. One red for sorcery. Uh, this deals damage to target creature equal to two, or the greatest powering dinosaur you control, whichever is greater. So this is a sorcery shock that if you're playing a dinosaur deck could be a huge uh, upgrade from shock. It could be one red mana destroy target creature pretty much. Yeah, uh, and that's a, that's a big deal. You know, I, I can envision even playing this in Pioneer next to. Um, uh, rotting Regisaur. Okay. And suddenly you've got a one mana seven damage spell. Um, and the, the fact that it, you know, it's always guaranteed to be two. Sometimes these cards aren't templated with that floor built in. If it, you know, having that floor so that you can just play it on turn one to kill their elf or, you know, their one drop as an aggressive creature, um, makes me really like the card. I'm always reticent on sorceries, but being one mana and being that efficient, um, I, I'm, I s imagine that if there is a good dinosaur deck, this is a part of it. Yep. Next, we have Bitter Triumph. One of the black for instant. As an additional cost to the spell, discard a card, pay three life, destroy target creature or planeswalker. Really good removal spell. This hits Delve, or not Delve, uh, Descend as well. It activates Descend. And if you can make it to where the paying three life or discarding the card isn't really that big of a deal, this is the most efficient removal spell we've had below. Yeah. Very similar to Infernal Grasp. It'll really depend on how many planeswalkers are around, but. You know, as I've said many times uh, on this cast over the years, when it comes to removal spells, you know, all you can say is, are you in the tier for consideration in different formats for, you know, standard, modern, pioneer, and so on? This card is in that consideration for, uh, you know, at least standard. It might even be in consideration for some pioneer decks, um, certainly not modern. And it, it'll just depend on, you know, the exact context of the metagame and your deck. But, it's definitely one that you know you're going to want to have in your collection and consider on a week to week basis. Uh, another one very similar right after this one. This is Dusk Rose Reliquary. It's one white for an artifact. It's an additional cost to cast this spell. Sacrifice an artifact or a creature. It has War Two. When it enters the battlefield, exile target artifact or creature that opponent controls until this leaves the battlefield. So Ross, this is one of the. This is the. Is it the first one of its kind where it's like the one mana answer that doesn't have a restriction on when it targets? You know, like we had glass casket and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but this one has the additional at one yeah, mana with a restriction. Soul. Yeah, but this one costs a little extra to do. But again, just like I said about the black card, if you can make it to where sacrificing the artifact or creature isn't really that big of a deal, and let's be real, you're in white. You can probably make some uh, some cheap artifacts that 
like map tokens. You, you don't necessarily yeah. need these things. Also, War Two, big furnace card as well. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think this card is an excellent sideboard addition for uh, the the Boros Convoke deck in Pioneer. You know, you sack the Blood Token, even just sacking a, a one one randomly to be able to deal with cards like Shieldred or uh, other major threats. Uh, you know, you exile the big creatures out of mono green. So already, I think it has an immediate home there. You know, they've been playing cards like Declaration in Stone in that spot. This is a big upgrade. Um, and uh, I think you you can also play it in uh, more like mid-rangey artifact-centered decks uh, and or, or just in, you know, uh, you know sort of token decks or low-to-the-ground creature decks. If there's any sort of like Orzhov sacrifice deck in standard, this will be a big part of it. Um, so it, it fits into a lot of different homes theoretically, and I think already it has one that, you know, perfectly exists. It's going to be a day one, you know, significant sideboard upgrade for that Boros Convoke deck. Next up we have Diamond Pickaxe. Uh, one mana, one red mana artifact equipment. It's indestructible. An equipped creature gets plus and plus one, has whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token, equipped two. You like this card? I do. It's another cheap equipment. I think getting a treasure token every time you attack, if you're you know developing any kind of sacrifice synergies, artifact synergies, or just trying to like get ahead, you know, w one of the issues with equipment is how tempo negative they are. Uh, you know, you're spending the mana cost and the equip cost to get it going. The uh, you know, and one of the things that sort of feast and famine did really well, and one of the reasons it was so successful and, and a constructed staple for many years is that it gave you that mana back. You know, you paid the mana to get it on the battlefield, equip a creature, now you get to untap all your lands. And so, you know, it was effectively free. You get to continue developing your battlefield in other ways. These treasure tokens let you do that as well. Now, obviously, it, you know, you're going to want to equip it onto something relatively safe. That's the downside. Um, but uh, I see this as, as a good card in any sort of, uh, you know, aggressive deck that is developing artifact synergies. So it, it, this is not, you know, a widely play playable card, but I think it, it can slot in and be a nice role player. Absolutely. Speaking of role players, next we have uh, the lore keeper that you were talking about earlier. It's one green mana for a creature of human druid. It's a one Y. You could tap to add one mana to any color, so birds very nice, except you could spin this mana only to cast a dinosaur spell or activate the ability of a dinosaur source. So if dinosaurs are happening, Russ, this is a card for that deck. Yeah. Lore keeper, the removal spell, and the uh, was, uh, intrepid paleontologist is the other mana creature. Yeah, Intrepid Paleontologist. So I think those 12 are a really great start. And then you figure out like what the big dinosaurs you want. The the four drop, that the the raptor that makes double green on your, you know, pre-combat main phase. You know, suddenly you've got a ton of mana to play with. I like how the raptor plays nicely with Paleontologist. A paleontologist is both a mana creature and a mana sink. So you've got all these creatures that are providing you extra mana. You're going to need some ways to use them. Uh, and the Paleontologist is a way to do that. So... I'm, uh, you know, I'm more excited about the, you know, the sort of non-dinosaur support cards in the dinosaur deck than I am the dinosaur cards for the most part. But I think those support cards are really good, and that kind of lowers the bar for how good the dinosaur creatures need to be. Because you know, maybe you're sacrificing playing slightly worse creatures than you otherwise would in this kind of like mid-range green, uh, green deck. But you get to play with a one-mana mana creature that's incredibly powerful. You get to play with this other great mana creature that now turns into a you know late game card advantage engine, and you get a removal spell that you know it, it has the potential to be like one mana kill of four or five drops. So all of those things are really really powerful and mean that you know you can sort of put whatever dinosaurs you need to put in in order to make them work. Those are your payoffs. 
Yeah, I actually want to talk about a card real quick. Oh, on top of this one, there's a it's it's really close to the spell they're called Belligerent Yearling. It's one of red for dinosaur. It's a three two with trample. So already it's a three two trample for two mana, which is like okay because the fact that it's a dinosaur. This is another dinosaur enters the battlefield under your control. You may have this is this space power become equal to that of the creature's power until it turn. So it's kind of like what was that in the Eldrazi deck? Uh, Eldrazi Mimic, I think was the yes, two draw. Mimic. So this is like their Eldrazi Mimic. So if we ever get the like tap for two mana dinosaur land or whatever, maybe we're like, you know, things that help make dinosaurs cheaper. This is like your two drop that if they don't answer it, they're going to start taking a lot of damage really fast. And, so, and then I'll say this, a lot of the dinosaur decks, if I remember right in the past, like, yeah, your, your three, four and five slots are probably good. Your two slots, probably not as good in the past. Remember. Yeah. You got your paleontologist as a mana creature. This All slots right. nicely next to that. Yeah. Was it? And you know, as I said, when we uh, when we covered the the what was that card's name? Um, the is it is that Keeper of the Inner Sky? Yeah, was the the white one drop? Like having cheap creatures that stay relevant as the game goes along. You know, this one sometimes your three two just doesn't get to attack, but when it's a five two trampler, you can at least get an attack, force a trade, get a little bit of extra yeah, damage in after the damage that it did early. You can attack into Shield or something at that point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, next, we have Helping Hand, one white mana sorcery. Return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield taps. Um, it's going to be a card that you think is going to show up if it, if it does in some of these, like, maybe like sacrifice for value type decks. Like, you think there's going to be like, why is this one really catching your eye? I mean, I know it's a pretty powerful card. We've seen the, what's the claim in. We've seen Claim and Pioneer. Claim when the there was the, the like Rakdos Arcanist deck. Uh, we haven't seen a ton of Unearth in Modern, but we've seen a little bit of it. You know, the card that I think Helping Hand goes really well with that is in Standard right now, at least I'm pretty sure it's in Standard right now, is what's, what's the Monastery card? Mentor. Yeah, that card is definitely a Standard. Yeah. You know, Helping Hand plays really, really well with Monastery Mentor. Uh, Ross, um, you just, you just got to be a little tingly inside. <laughs> yeah. This is also a really good card in at the, you know, supposed Orzhov Sacrifice deck where you're playing Bartholomew, you're playing uh, the Sanguine um, Uncommon, Sanguine Evangelist, you know, returns either of those. The, the Sacrifice decks always need, like, all their, you know, synergistic parts to be together. You need Fado to Sacrifice, uh, Sacrifice Outlet, and Payoffs. And, uh, you know, your opposing, opposing removal is bad against the Fodder, but they can target the other ones pretty well. So you're able to, you know, return those back, give some degree of resilience against removal spells in your synergistic sacrifice decks. Um, it's just a powerful card that I think can show up in a lot of different places. And, you know, whenever you're paying one mana to get your two or three drop back and you can double spell with it, that's an opportunity for your aggressive deck to gain a significant amount of tempo. Sure. Speaking of tempo, next year we're talking about Geological Appraiser, two red red for a human artificer. It's a three two. Well, here's the battlefield. If you cast it, discover three. Uh, discover three is you exile the cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card with mana value three or less. You cast it up, pay its mana cost, or you put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom in any random order. Ross, uh, this ability obviously is pretty powerful in the history of magic. Uh, we'll have to see how well it's going to play out, but I have a feeling we're going to see this ability happen. Yeah, we'll certainly see some amount of discover Obviously, the, the appraiser is very reminiscent of Blipperdelf. <laughs> the problem is, it doesn't have haste. True, it is a haste. slight upgrade over that card, though. But 
Haste is like the best keyword ability. It is. <laughs> it's really powerful. So taking a card and getting rid of haste is a big deal. Even if the cascade part was always more important than the haste, you're still significantly downgrading from Bloodbraid Elf. So uh, I wanted to highlight this card just as, you know, a warning to people. If you think this card is going to be Bloodbraid, Bloodbraid Elf, which probably should have been banned during its time in standard, uh, it, it will not. It'll probably be a good and limited card. Yeah, just because I'm seeing it right now, I do want to mention that Charter Course and a Braid are getting reprinted in this set as well. What's the next Ooh, card? Charter Course got? is a nice one for this set. Yeah, it, it triggers uh, whatever the abilities that you keep talking about, where you put a card in your Yeah, Descent. Right. Descent. I keep wanting to say Delve. All right, so what's the next one that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I've got C-Note Scout. Sure. Um, the, This is the green for a 1-1 Merfolk when it ETBs Explore. Ooh, I kind of uh, like that card. It's Scout, but yeah. very basic card. But this is a really important card for both, like, you know, Explore Synergy decks, if you're trying to do that, or just the Merfolk deck. Um, I honestly think it is generally better than the X creature, um, you know, just because it can be a one-mana 2-2, whereas Jade Light Spelunker never will be. Obviously, Jade Light Spelunker is a lot flashier, but I think this one is the one that sees more constructed play of the two. Uh, and, you know, any Merfolk deck that exists in the Standard or Pioneer, I think we'll play four of them. Uh, what's the next one we got? I am looking at Molten Collapse. Where is so, that one? I can't find that one on the uh, the preview. That one is, uh, this is it, it. We're down into the gold cards. This is the sure. Dreadbore. Oh, yeah. This card is awesome, actually. Okay, so if everybody yeah. at home, Molten Collapse, black and red sorcery. Choose one. If you descended this turn, you may choose both instead. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Destroy target non-creature, non-land permit with mana value wireless. So, uh, the you don't need to get both, right? This is just it's a, it's a pure upgrade of Dreadbore. It's Dreadbore with an extra piece that you could possibly go on. Um, this can do some silly stuff in other formats. Like I'm thinking, if you're playing like the Mirror and the Rakdos Sacrifice deck, like this card just seems insane. It is. Um... I mean, not saying it just it, it seems like it's going to do a lot of stuff. You're like, you know, kill your yeah, one of your it things. It depends kill how many targets things. you have for that second ability. I mainly sure. see it as a slightly upgraded Dreadbore, which kind of annoys me because Dreadbore already sees play. So you're basically sure. just telling everyone, okay, all your Dreadbores are irrelevant now and you need to buy this card. That kind of annoys me, but it, it does do some really important upgraded things. The biggest one in my mind, and this is actually more relevant for modern where Dreadbore doesn't really see play, it's dealing with hardened skills. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. yeah, kill your creature and your hardened scales for the the Rakdos Evoke deck against hard in that matchup. That's a big deal. That's really so good, actually. Yeah. I, I have to wonder if hardened scales stays a big thing, a big part of the metagame. Yeah. They start switching up some of their terminates for this card. Because it's really easy to descend when you have fetch lands here. Uh, yeah, very easy to descend with fetch lands and with and Evoke creatures. And Evoke creatures, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right. that, that's where I, I, I wanted to highlight it. But I ultimately, I'm just kind of annoyed that this card, you know, I sure. own four Dreadbores. I know they're not very expensive. This card probably won't like be that expensive. It's like a five But it's just card. annoying yeah. to know that, yeah. like, my Dreadbores are now bad. Yeah, they're just obsolete. Yeah, yeah they just banned a Dreadbore. Because next, not, you're never yeah. going to play five Dreadbores in a deck. Like, yeah, next we got another dinosaur card. So it's three green, red for a creature dinosaur. It's a five, three. Uh, it notably says other dinosaurs you control at haste. Yeah. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, create two zero one green dinosaur egg creature tokens. At the beginning coming of your turn, if you control one or more eggs, sacrifice an egg, create a three three green dinosaur creature token. 
which has haste as long as the thing's in play. So, uh, Ross, a lot of stacks for five mana here that you're generally trying to be cast more than uh, earlier than turn five. Yes. You know, you can ramp into this one. You can play this on turn three. You know, with the, the the various mana creatures that are around for dinosaur decks. This is, I like when I'm ramping into a big threat. I like when that threat doesn't just die and, and like leave nothing. This one, if they have the instant, you're only leaving around some O ones, but later copies of Polani's Hatcher can, uh, you know, um, can turn those O ones into three threes. So, you know, if this is a, this is a card that I want to play a bunch of copies of, Obviously, giving all your other dinosaurs haste is a really big deal, and it's a really nice card to ramp into. So this was the uh, immediate dinosaur that I sort of latched onto as, as what I want to ramp into, and especially knowing that you have the one mana mana creature and the two mana one. You know, what five drops can we play on turn three is a big question to ask, and this seems to me like the best one. Yep. Uh, next up, we got a bunch of the lands. Ross, you want to just go through the uh, creature lands real fast? Sure. All right, the first one up is Restless Prairie. Uh, all of these come into play tap, by the way. Uh, add green or white, two green white. It becomes a three three green and white llama creature until end of turn, and then when it attacks, other creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn. The green white one always interesting because it's usually a, a creature based deck for green white. Uh, three three with no other ability, kind of you know it's fine or whatever. Creature lands aren't what they used to be because like the game is just so much faster and more efficient nowadays. But like these are fine. Yeah, uh, the thing is. Usually when you're attacking with a creature land, it's because you're pretty low on resources. So I like evaluating creature lands as sort of standalone cards, which is why I'm a little bit less high on the Selesnia and Gruul is it ones. The Gruul one is, like, is a 3-4. When it attacks, another target attacking creature gets plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn, sure. and you untap that creature. Um, obviously, they can be quite good. You know, you are going to attack with it and you know another creature to some amount of the time, but like with the Selesnia one, it's rare that you're going to attack with this and a bunch of creatures. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, the blue-black one, again, they open to play tap, tap for blue-black. It's two blue-black and becomes a 4-4 four, four blue-black shark creature with death touch until in turn. And then when it attacks, target player mills four cards. So this is pretty cool in the fact that I think that some of the decks that if they play this attack with it, you're going to be targeting yourself with the mill for like yeah. some abilities or get some cards you're or maybe for some value. Uh... This one, also having Death Touch is pretty big, right? Like, it can rumble with She-Holdred, it can rumble to any creature in standard, so this one yeah, seems to me like it might be alright. I've warmed up to this one more, and I the main reason is the Death Touch, but uh, also, like, the Descend synergies that you pointed out are, are definitely relevant. There's going to be some cards that, it, you know, it, it helps out, or you're just going to generate value by milling, you know, cards that you can access from the graveyard, so, you know, anytime you effectively draw a card when you attack with the creature land, that's a big deal. But really, just Death Touch, meaning that like, this card is going to attack a lot. Yeah, <laughs> It's always going to attack if you want yeah. it to. Uh, the red-black one in this set is one black-red. It becomes a 2-3 black and red insect creature with Midas. And then um, when it attacks, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. So this one has a evasion ability on a 2-3, and it has a rummage. Uh, I could get behind playing, playing this one a little bit, Ross. And the fact that, like, generally red-black decks are decks that, like, like the one for one, a lot of the deck. If the game goes on, it makes your dead draws later in the game fine. Uh, again, triggers these abilities like we talked about. Uh, and it triggers descend, and then uh, I, I don't hate this one. Uh, two two powers a little is a little low, but yeah, kind but of it's also one it. of the you know one of the cheapest ones. I like the Rakdos and Azorius ones the most 
because they're the cheapest ones. You get some evasion with both of them. And the main thing you're using Creaturelance for is flood insurance. You know, it gives you a mana sink. But both the Rakdos and the Azorius ones give you more ways to turn lands into other things. Or they give you a way to, like, draw more cards in the case of the map tokens. Um, you know, and and use more of your mana. The Azorius one, I think, is my favorite. This is a, it's a 2-3 flyer for 3 to activate. One blue-white, and when it attacks, you make a map token. So now, like, the map token you can start using to explore onto the 2-3 flyer, make it an even bigger threat. Sure. Uh, that's difficult to answer, so... I do think the Azorius one is the best one of the set, but I think the Rakdos one, Rakdos and Demir are probably the underrated ones. And, and I would say the green ones are the overrated ones, but I, I have Azorius on top. As a person living to Louisiana, Ross, uh, I want all of these lands as much as possible because I can never get enough flood insurance. So anyway, that's my <laughs> bad joke for the day. We said Cavern of Souls is getting reprinted here. There's another land that I want to talk about. Just, just a second. Sunken Citadel. It enters, it enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, you choose a color. You can add one mana of the chosen color, but it also says tap add two mana of the chosen color. The mana can only be used for activated abilities of a land source. I, I'm always worried when I see a land tap for two. You know, for something and like, yeah, it only does, you know, land sources, but I'm sure there's something somewhere that can use this card that's going to be pretty good. The only thing holding this thing back is it, it comes to play tap. If it didn't come to play tap, the card would be like very good and just playable and everything that I think that's why it comes to play. Because it's just, otherwise it's just a five color land, technically. You yeah. Know, you choose whatever color you want. And, uh, you know, if you're playing a lot of, you know, creature lands and, and other lands with abilities, that, that's going to be, a, I think, a pretty valuable card. And just playing it for the mana fixing isn't bad. So, yeah, I do think you need to be taking advantage of the second ability in order to want that card. Um, yeah. You know, there's too many other quality dual lands, uh, many of which do not enter the battlefield tapped to uh, want to play this. Maybe right. if you're like a three-color deck, uh, especially if you're a three-color deck that doesn't have access to a Triome. Uh, maybe you play this one just to, you know, fix your mana well, but for the most part, you know, you want to be playing it next to lands with activated abilities, and fortunately, there's a lot of them around, so yeah, uh, I'm I'm interested. Uh, this is it for the the spoilers that we're going to look at uh, this week. We're going to have some, possibly a second to look at it if something big gets previewed uh, before we get next week's episode. If not, we'll probably move on to doing one of those uh, cool, fun episodes that we've been talking about, maybe change up the the pacing of the show just a tiny bit just for just a few episodes we'll try out some new stuff uh one thing that i forgot to bring up earlier we were talking about uh the sports stuff ross i didn't know if you've seen this i'm sure you've seen maybe by twitter a little bit have you seen the resurgence of creed with baseball this year the band creed so i've seen you post about it but and i didn't really no understand the backstory okay. so the texas readers who won the world series right uh they started out really good this season, right? And they had like a great record. And then uh, it's like two thirds of the way through the season, or a little, a little over like halfway through the season, they started like to stumble a little bit. They started slumping, right? And then all of a sudden they turned it back on and they made the, it looked like they weren't going to make the playoffs. Then they made the playoffs and honestly won the World Series. And when they were making the run into the playoffs, uh, some reporter was asking one of the players, they're like, you know, what happened? Y'all had like this big turnaround, you know, you were, you were great, then you were bad, then you turned it around, like blah, blah, blah. And one of was like, well, we changed up the vibes of the team a little bit. You know, we started like believing each other, you know, all the typical practical answers. And then he was like, also, we like, we changed the vibe in the clubhouse. He's like, somebody just started playing Creed before the game really loudly. And they're like, wait, Creed? He's like, yeah, you know, the band Creed from like the early, early 2000s, you know, can you take me higher? You know, that's all I guess, something like that or whatever. And so, it just became a meme onto itself in the fact that they started showing up to games. They would play the song extremely loud through the the PA system. Um, 
when they made the World Series, like when they won the AL uh, ALCS, one of the players is like doing an interview right outside the clubhouse, and you can hear Creed just blaring in the background while they're doing all this. <laughs> so that's why you keep seeing me and other people posting like gifts of I think his name's like Scott Staff or something like that, like just singing, you know, like just random Creed. Like you may have seen the 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 very popular gif of them doing the the half uh, halftime show to Cowboys game. There's like people flying all over the place and. It's just so ridiculous that it's hilarious. And the only reason I brought it back up is someone just texted me, uh, a friend of mine in Dallas who's like still at Cloud Nine because they won the, the World Series. Just just texted me. Some they said they uh they walked into like a dentist appointment or whatever today. So they're in a dentist office and Creed is just blaring in the dentist office. It's I'm just like, Yep, good time to be in Dallas right now. It's good time to be a uh, a Rangers fan. So I thought you'd find that funny. Anybody around our age who remembers this band? Some of our younger viewers might not really remember Creed. They're probably very young when Creed was popular for a few years. Look them up. They got some some pretty catchy stuff from uh, one of probably the worst eras of music in my life. They were really big when I, like, I was in high school, in like early, early high school. Like I owned Creed CDs. Like I remember buying a Creed CD or getting excited about the next one. It was uh, it was a dark time, Ross. It was a dark time. We don't, we don't talk about those times. It was a, uh, it was a thing. Yeah. It was like that and boy band sort of. <laughs> yeah. I'm like Justin Timberlake and Backstreet Boys and stuff. So it was, it was tough. You yeah. know, Kirk Cobain died. Tupac died. Biggie died. We're a little, you know, a little past that. That was like 90s. That was like yeah. mid early 90s. I but remember that. that but. but that leads to the sure. dearth of quality music in the late sure. 90s. Sure. Things just got bad. It got bad. You got really bad in the late 90s. Like, well, it was because pop started getting really popular in like the late nineties and the early two thousands. And a lot of the pop stuff just wasn't good. Like, you know, like we joke about it being great and like funny, yeah. but like in sync and stuff, was the number one hit like, for like 12 weeks in 1997. Yeah, like the Spice Girls were not good. <laughs> you know, they, like they have some great hits Oof. that are funny. And so, yeah. But like, we're going to get hate mail for that one, Tannen. The Spice oh, Girls sure. are enduringly popular. Yeah. And then there's like, there was also like the big, uh, like, Latin music infusion for a little while, like Secura got big, and then like Ricky Martin and a bunch of other stuff started coming up. Like there was somebody else too. I can't even think about who else it was. There was like a bunch of other artists that got really big in America. It was wild during that time. So if you're if you're interested, I'm sure there's some kind of um what am I looking for? Like I'm gonna say discography. That's not right. There's I'm sure there's kind of show you can you can watch somewhere that tells you like what was going on at this time in the music <laughs> that was popular. It was not good. Boy, but it, it I'm thinking about it. It was, I think it's easily the worst period of music that was very popular in my lifetime. Can you think of a different one? No, no, it's definitely the worst. All right. N- 1996 sure. to, to 2000. It's it, it, really yeah, like it, it went maybe a little further down. Like, I think it's like all my high school years. Cause like, yeah. you turn on the radio and like all you hear is, like, okay, like I'm trying to think of the other bands that were big at the time, like Stained was yeah. big. Like, you know, it was like weird emo guitar uh, time. Uh, Train, Drops of Jupiter. Train was really big. Pop was so weird. Like at that time, I was really, I've tried to get bands I was really into because, like, at that time, I was really into like Incubus, 311. Like, rap got really big, like, really big in the early 2000s. You know, it's yeah. like a bunch of guys really shot off their careers. Country uh, was really big where I lived at that time, too. And then it was just obviously every girl were all bumped the Backstreet Boys and stuff. Everyone loved the Backstreet Boys, Tannen. Yeah. I mean, Everybody. Apparently, apparently, except for you, you didn't want it that way. No, I did not want it that way. <laughs> <You know. laughs> 
I was I was just sick and tired of like the trapper keepers with uh, Justin Timberlake on it and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's your uh, your music history for this episode. Okay. Yes, <laughs> but you know uh, that's why you come here. So oh, yeah. we wanted to get that done. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure we get that. I mean, we're, we're, you learn something new every day. All right. <laughs> anyway, everybody, thanks for listening. It's a deranged episode of the podcast. And we'll see you all for the next one. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>